0: Well, once again, we're really uh, honored that you're here. If you're a guest with us, thank you so much for coming. Like we shared at the at the beginning, a very traditional uh, Passover meal it it could take two two and a half hours plus. As a matter of fact, if you were to go and uh, do any kind of research on it, you might find some pictures of uh, some. Uh, your traditional Jewish families with the kids literally falling asleep at the table uh, while they're going through this. Now, it's called the Passover Seder, uh, which means the order. There, it, there's an order to it. <clears throat> and they'll use this book called the Haggadah, which is it's for the, the reading. It's, the, it's what they would read and what they rec- would recite in... Um, in this, in this meal. Uh, Matt, have you got those uh, pictures? I wanted to, wanted to show you a couple of things. <clears throat> and then a number of verses. So in other words, if you were to go to a <clears throat> your typical Passover meal, it would really look something like this along with the other foods on the table, but it would have these items on here. Typically, you have these four cups uh, that have names. We'll get to that in a minute. There's even a fifth cup. Uh, that you might have heard referred to as the cup of Elijah. Uh, Maybe you've heard of that. But then you'll have that, and then you have the matzah. We have that on your table. Uh, There's two different kinds. Hopefully your table has both kinds. Uh, The lighter one is gluten-free, and in my opinion, is the better one. Um, And then there's the other one that's just uh, the regular regular matzah. Anyhow, you'll have the matzah, which is bread that is unleavened. Then you'll have this other plate, um, or, or one similar to this, and it'll have these different items on here. It'll have the egg, uh, that's debatable. Then you have the the bitter herbs. You've got the uh, sometimes it's romaine lettuce or uh, parsley. We have parsley tonight. Uh, then you have the the carol set. Carol the set is a mixture of apples and nuts, and sometimes honey and stuff like that, and it actually tastes very, very good. And then I believe what I'm looking at is uh, maybe the shank bone uh, of a lamb. Uh, Then up at the top here, you'll see the book, which is the Haggadah. That's what they will use to read this. And the reason for doing all this is because we're told in the scriptures that we are to remember when God brought us up out of Egypt, uh, when God passed over Israel uh, when the angel of death came and all of that, and the firstborn of Israel didn't die. if They had the blood of the lamb, the Passover lamb uh, over their doors. <clears throat> and then he he brought them out of Egypt. And so he said, you're to do this, and you're to do this regularly. We're going to read these passages in a second. And you will teach your children, when your children ask, hey, dad, is it okay if I paraphrase? Hey, dad, what's the deal with this service and eating these weird foods? And then you're to respond uh, this is what God did when he brought us up out of Egypt. Pull that next slide up, Matt. <clears throat> so if you were sitting down at a, at a traditional Seder uh, Passover meal service, it would look a lot like this right here. Um, <clears throat> and like I said, it could take and we've done it this way before in years past. Two, two and a half hours, maybe, maybe longer or whatever, depending on how many people you've got and the questions you're asking and how you go about it, um, your food can get cold, <laughs> right? And so it wasn't that long ago I said, hey, look, why don't we just eat first and then we'll get to this part of the meal. Uh, and anyways, so, so that's what it would look like. Um, we don't have another slide, do we? I'm trying to remember. There's another one? No. Yeah, okay, that one. <clears throat> so this is what we're going to get into here in a minute with these, these four cups. And Matt, you can just leave that up there you know, for now because it's based on a passage of Scripture. And <clears throat> I've got these notes for you. I want to read this first page, and I'll go ahead and tell you it's, it's on your notes. But I pulled this off of an Orthodox Jewish website, and I just wanted you to read this, and I wanted you to see this because I want you to understand something that is important on a lot of different levels, okay? And that's why you'll see some wording spelled the way it is, and so on and so forth. So it said, God uses four expressions of redemption in describing our exodus from Egypt and our birth as a nation. I will take you out. I will save you. I will redeem you. I will take you as a nation, And that word, I will take you out, doesn't mean I will kill you. It means I will take you out of Egypt. Our sages instituted that we should drink a cup of wine, a toast, if you will, for each one of these expressions. We recite the Kiddush after the first cup. We read the Exodus story from the Haggadah over the second cup. We recite the grace after meals over the third cup. And we sing the big Hillel, psalms and hymns of praises to God over the fourth cup. During the Seder, we can experience these elements of redemption in a spiritual sense. There are a number of explanations as to the significance of the various stages of redemption conveyed through each of these expressions. Here is one. Salvation from harsh labor. This began, this began as soon as the plagues were introduced, salvation from servitude, or the day the Jews left Egypt geographically and arrived at Ramses, the splitting of the sea, which we were able to walk through tonight, <laughs> after which the Jews felt completely redeemed without fear of the Egyptians recapturing them, and becoming a nation at Sinai. During the Seder, we can experience these elements of redemption in a spiritual sense by leaving our Egypt and our servitude to our egos. There's actually a fifth expression in the above-mentioned verses, and I will bring you to the land which I promised Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as an inheritance. While the exodus from Egypt and the birth of the Jewish nation are permanent, we have yet to be brought to Israel on a permanent basis. In honor of this verse, we have a fifth cup at the Seder, the cup of Elijah. This cup is set up for Elijah during the second half of the Seder, but we do not drink it. Elijah will announce the arrival of Mashiach, that's the Messiah, who will bring all Jews to Israel for good. During the course of the evening, you will have four cups of wine, veggies dipped in salt water, flat, dry, cracker-like bread called matzah. Bitter herbs, often uh, horseradish without additives, um, romaine lettuce dipped in carousel, a paste of nuts, apples, pears, and wine, a festive meal that may contain time-honored favorites like chicken soup and gefilte fish. Each item has been in place in a 15-step choreographed combination of tastes, sounds, sensations, and smells that have been with the Jewish people for a millennia. You know what? how long a millennia is? A thousand years. Okay, <clears throat> so I underlined that last sentence for you because I want you to notice something. It says, each item has been placed in a 15-step choreographed combination of tastes, sounds, sensations, smells that have been with the Jewish people for a millennia. Now, here's what I want you to see. Why have this Seder and spelled out the way it is? Because you will not find this in Scripture for it to be spelled out all these ways. The Jewish people have come up with this. I'm going to tell you at the start, I really believe it's a stroke of genius. It really is. It is absolutely amazing. It's amazing what they've done Especially over the last 2,000 years. So here's what I want you to see. This Seder meal is done out of necessity. Because in Scripture, what we're told is that on the evening of the 14th of Nisan, we are now in that month. Some people will call it the month of Aviv. It's when the harvest was coming in. Anyways. Uh, It's the the month of Nisan. On the 10th day of the month of Nisan, everybody was to find their lamb, pick their lamb, as perfect as they could find one. They were to keep it for, uh, for four days up until the 14th of Nisan. The lamb was to be slaughtered on the 14th of Nisan and eaten that evening. Right before sundown, they were supposed to start eating the Passover meal. And they were to eat it with unleavened bread. They were to eat it with bitter herbs. Um, And they were to remember what God had done. Passover is a meal. It's a barbecue. And as a matter of fact, we're told that the lamb is not to be boiled or cooked anyway. It's supposed to be cooked over uh, an open flame, so we didn 't have lamb, we had brisket, we had cow <laughs> uh, we I smoked it you know uh, all day yesterday, uh, so it was b- very very similar uh, but we didn 't have lamb uh, well <clears throat> it 's a meal the very next day, starting at sundown on the on god 's calendar uh, starts Nisan 15, right? 14, 15. Nisan 15 is the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That day is a Sabbath. Whether it falls on a Saturday or a Sunday or a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, doesn't matter. It is a Sabbath. So <clears throat> here we are. And just so that you know, technically, yesterday evening was Passover. Today is the first day of unleavened bread. Um, And today is a Sabbath, and it is also Nisan 15. Here's what I want you to see. It's just a meal, and the meal revolves around the lamb. You, You following me? They are told, you are to have this meal. You're to have it at evening on the 14th. You're to have a lamb. If your family is too small for one, then you invite your friends and family or whatever to come over and y'all share this together. You're to eat that lamb. Anything that's left, you do away with it. You don't keep it till the next day. And then for the next seven days, you're to celebrate the feast of unleavened bread and you're not to have any leaven in your house and you're to only eat unleavened bread with your meals. Now... If I were to tell you that we were going to get together as a family, it would have been better maybe to do this before we ate, because, you know, well, you'll see. If I were to tell you that we were going to meet together as a family and we were going to have turkey and dressing, uh, we were going to have uh, sweet potatoes, maybe a sweet potato casserole, green bean casserole, pumpkin pie, coffee, some pecan pie, what am I describing? I'm describing Thanksgiving, right? Uh, you know, when Thanksgiving comes around, there's pumpkin spice everything, right? Because, and, and you immediately get those warm, fuzzy feelings, right? Because you're going to be with your family and you're going to experience Thanksgiving. You're going to eat way too much turkey and dressing. Football going to be on TV. You're going to see about half of it because you're going to pass out from all the turkey, right? And it's just, it's just the way that's, that's going to be. And, it, and it's a good time, right? This is the same way. He told him. he said, this is what you're supposed to do. It takes us all the way back to Egypt and the original Exodus. But the, the taste, the smells, all of that was to remind them we came out of Egypt and God brought us out of slavery and birthed us as a nation. Pretty cool, right? But what you'll see happening is nothing really like that. Why? Because there's not a lamb. And as a matter of fact, most people that observe a Seder meal will not eat lamb. That's like a no-no because you really can't have a sacrificial Passover lamb. Why? There's not a temple there. Now here's what the Jewish people did The scribes and rabbis finally got together and they said, look, we ought to, uh, I'm going to use this word, codify this. Let's get everybody organized because they were already sort of doing it. What happened? In 70 AD, what happened? The temple was destroyed. Therefore, they couldn't have the sacrifice lambs. The people were dispersed. The tribe of Judah, Judah himself, ended up getting the blessing of the firstborn. That's a long story. So the tribe of Judah has been responsible for guarding the Torah and the people. Y'all following, with, following me? So <clears throat> the temple is destroyed in 70 AD. They can't have the sacrifices It's not there. The priestly system is now... They're scattered everywhere. But people wanted... The Jewish people wanted to remember what God had done for them. Right? Some people originally for a long time literally went and sacrificed their own lambs as close to the Temple Mount as they could get back in the day. Still trying to observe some sort of a Passover. Passover. People were trying to still hold on to their, watch this, their Jewish identity and remember that this is what God said to do and we want to follow Him, right? Because God said, I birthed you. This is how I want you to live. This is how you treat each other. This is how you live as a nation. This is how you come before me and you're going to come before me and you're going to worship me. And guess what? Three of the feasts, they were required to go directly to the temple area, whether it was there or in Shiloh, where the tabernacle was. I'm getting off track. Um, three times a year, they were to come before God and have their sacrifices and meet with God. That was to happen at Passover, Pentecost, or Shavuot, and Sukkot, or tabernacles. Okay? This was the first one. This, was, this is commemorating them becoming a nation. This is like their constitution, like our constitution. And God says, this is exactly what I want you to do. So people felt compelled, we really need to do this. And everybody was trying to figure it out. Watch this. So this Seder that around the world right now, there are millions, millions and millions of people doing this. There's a lot of church services this weekend that'll have a Seder meal. I've done it the traditional way where you repeat the blessings and you dip your finger in the juice and you put it in your plate and all these things. And man, that stuff's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, there's the uh there's the bread. Did y'all bring your uh deal that you put the offie coming in? Did I see that? No? No, but I have a like a bag. Yeah.
1: Which is
0: sort of what the duty- Right. So there's this bag, and it's got these compartments in it, and you take three pieces of matzah, and the middle one, you break it, and you put it in there, and you hide it, and the kids go find it, and then after the meal, you pull that out, and everybody goes, see how that is, you know, because the matzah is striped, and it's pierced, and Jesus was his, by his stripes, we are healed, and he was pierced for our transgressions, and and, and look, you got the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they took the middle one out, and they broke it, and they hid it. And then after the meal, they bring it out. It's called the afikomen. And when you get that and the kids find it, they all get it. Whoever finds it gets a prize. And a lot of people go, how can the Jewish people not see that that's Yeshua? Right? Anybody here ever hear that? I got, I got one. I got one. Do I have two? Can I give me two? You got two? I got two. Because I've heard it, right? Um, Well, okay, let's go back because we're going to be intellectually honest, right? Around here, that's what we're trying to do and we're trying to be biblical. So the Seder meal was designed, why? Because the temple wasn't there. Well, that means at the end of the meal, the last supper, Jesus didn't pull out the Apikomen and then pass it around and say, this is my body which is broken for you. He couldn't have. This wasn't codified until the Middle Ages. Can I hear a uh oh? (laughs) Right? Now, here's what we Christians do all the time. And because I've done it, I've heard it, I've seen it, I've read it on the internet. It's amazing. And we, we talk about all these beautiful things in the Seder and how it, re, how it applies to Jesus, how it applies to Yeshua, and all this other kind of stuff. And man, you know what we used to say in school? Man, brother, that'll preach. Man, that'll pull on those heartstrings. That'll preach. There's just one problem. We're reading in our doctrine into a tradition that most of it didn't really start or get codified the way we have it now until a thousand years after Jesus. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Now, I'm not saying the traditions are wrong or bad. I'm saying they're genius. Why? They literally will tell you, if you'll go research this, that they've made this so elaborate, and they talk about the Lamb so much in this service, that it's like the Lamb is there, even though it's not. They couldn't do, and still can't, did anybody see where the Temple Mount people were asking to do the, the Passover sacrifice there at the Temple Mount? And they did on the southern side, not up on top, but just outside. Uh, you have to go, wow, uh, getting closer and closer because they have a renewed Sanhedrin and everything anyway, so we're, we're getting close. But they still can't do it and do it properly, therefore... To keep their Jewish identity, to keep their Jewish identity tied to the Word of God, to do what He said do, but you can't do it perfectly. Nobody can. The most strenuously orthodox, kosher, whatever you want to call it, Jewish people today can't do the Passover meal the way God said. Now, they would argue with me over that because they would say God said through them to do it this way, but that's a whole nother sermon. Um, You you can't do it the way he said and we're going to get into this passage here in just a second. So here's what I want you to see. This was so important because it held the Jewish people together and protected if you will the Torah, the Old Testament, the Word of God. It's something that we can trust and it is beautiful. There's nothing wrong with it. You following me? I don't think there's anything really wrong with it. What's wrong is when we start interjecting our theology in a tradition that started a thousand years after Jesus and then assuming that the last supper, Jesus handed out part of this striped, pierced, dried bread, pulls it out of the bag and says, this is my body which is broken for you. That's not what he did. Uh, And as a matter of fact, you've got the, the four cups We'll get into that in a minute. Uh, And so people will say that after the meal, Jesus took uh, the cup, you know, the cup of redemption, and he passed it around in the reason, And I've said this. That's why I know it's out there. Jesus didn't drink of the cup of redemption because he didn't need to be redeemed. He was doing the redeeming. Uh, So uh, that's why he said, I'm not going to drink this until I drink it anew with you in my father's kingdom. Uh, Well, That didn't start. He didn't do that. What did Jesus do? They had a meal. They had a meal. So let's get into some of these passages. I want you to see something here. I'm on page two of our notes. I've actually made it to page two, and I'm not sure how long I've already been talking. Uh, John 13, verse one. And I want to show you something. And hopefully it won't upset you too much. John 13 verse 1, it says, now before the feast of Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I stopped there because it's the next few chapters that deal with this last night uh, when he's having this last meal uh, with his disciples. Judas betrays him and all that stuff. There's a bountiful amount of teaching that Jesus does uh, that night. Um, But here's what I want you to see, and you might want to circle it or whatever, because here it says, now before the Feast of Passover. This is where we Christians have a little bit of a problem. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are referred to as the synoptic Gospels. They're the gospel; They agree with each other so much that... The theorists out there believed that there was probably one document that the other two copied and used at least for a source text or whatever. But then you have the book of John. And this is one of the areas where John seems to disagree with the other three Gospels. The other three Gospels seem to say that Jesus ate a Passover meal. It'll say now at Passover the first day of Passover, and then this is what he was doing. I don't have time to get into this. We've done it before here. Those of you that have been here know I've spent a lengthy amount of time talking about this, <clears throat> that Jesus didn't die on Friday. He died. I can show you through the, all the gospel accounts where he died on Wednesday afternoon. It's just as obvious as the nose on our face. Uh, and, and so anyways, John's gospel makes it very clear that this happened before the feast of Passover. When you get into all the gospel accounts, it says that during the, during the meal, he offered them bread and he broke it. And the word there literally is our tone. You can go look it up yourself, which means leavened bread, a loaf of bread. It's not unleavened bread. Would Jesus break the very law that he commanded No, he wouldn't do that, right? We know that he died at Passover. From all the gospel accounts, we know he died at Passover. We also know that the women went after the Sabbath, it says, because when he was put into the grave, he was put into the grave as the Sabbath was starting. We know from the gospel accounts that the women went and bought spices. You can't buy it on the Sabbath. We also know that they not only bought the spices, but they prepared the spices. This was to embalm his body. To put on his body, uh, to get it, to have it ready, because they had to do it in a hurry. Then it says, and they rested on the Sabbath, as was their custom. And then after the Sabbath, early on Sunday morning, uh, they went and saw that he had been risen. Now, Sunday morning, which is tomorrow, is first fruits. It's always Sunday. First fruits is always on a Sunday, always. It's the first day of the week during the week of unleavened bread doesn't matter when it falls. That's a, that's a weekly thing. Y'all, y'all following with me what I'm saying? So it's, it's just real easy to see that he died on Wednesday. Thursday was a Sabbath. They rested. Friday wasn't a Sabbath. They went and bought the spices, prepared the spices, got it ready, rested on the Sabbath as was their custom, which was the weekly Sabbath. And then on Sunday morning, he was raised. And that way he was also on the ground three days and three nights. Absolutely amazing. And just this week, I get a deal in the mail from somebody that I have, I used to follow this guy like clockwork. He's dead and gone now. He's with the Lord. Great guy. And I'm reading and I'm going, I used to regurgitate the exact same thing on how we can explain away that Jesus died on Friday, rose on Sunday, and that's three days and three nights. And I go, anyways, I, <laughs> I'm going I'm to leave that alone for a second. So what I believe happened was that Jesus just had a last supper with his disciples. When he was coming into town, he says, I need y'all to go find this place where we can prepare for the Passover meal. This didn't happen overnight, what we had tonight, right? Um, it'd be the same thing as saying, you know, hey, we're going to meet together and, and eat at Christmas or whatever you're celebrating, right? Right. Um, I believe that's what he was telling them. He says, you're going to get it ready. You're going to do all these things. Why would he not tell them, hey, guess what? I'm going to die on Passover. And I'm going to be raised on the day of first fruits. Why did he not do that? We've covered this before. He's not going to tip his hand, not necessarily to them, but to the devil himself. Because the devil had entered into Judas to betray him. And he goes out and does it. And Jesus dies exactly when he's supposed to, where he can be in the ground, according to his own prophecy, three days and three nights, the same way that Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, and he was raised on first fruits. It's not difficult to see. The reason it's hard is because the church was very anti-Semitic and hated the Jews and hated the rabbis, so came up with their own system because they just hated them. And that's sad, but it is our church history, and it is a fact. Um, So I don't know if that messes up your head too much to go, you mean Jesus didn't have a Passover meal? He was the Passover meal. And I do believe that He died while they're crucifying the lambs. They're in Jerusalem, and He died just outside of Jerusalem. And when He said, it is finished, guess what? That's what the high priest would say when the last lamb was killed. Imagine that. Every single thing Yeshua did and lived, where he walked, where he was, was a fulfillment of Scripture. Everything. Why? Because he is God in the flesh that came and died on the cross and took on the sins of the unfaithful bride so he could release us from that divorce decree so that we could be remarried to him. He loves us that much. Man, it's awesome, isn't it? Now, here's what I want you to see, and we're going to try to personalize this tonight. I just wanted you to understand that because I see it in my own life. I see it in the church so much where we talk about things and we say things that are factual and biblical when they're just not. And it just makes me nuts. I'm sorry, but I go, can we just be intellectually honest and biblically honest? It's okay to say these are beautiful symbols of Jesus dying for us, but it's not in the Bible. Therefore, we shouldn't be saying, how come the Jews can't see Jesus in this? There's a simple reason why they can't see Jesus in it. Our own doctrine is keeping them out of the kingdom. The stuff we're teaching in the church, it's fact, they go, well, then Jesus can't be the Messiah. They're using our own doctrine and saying, well, then he can't be the Messiah, he's a false prophet, whatever, and y'all have got this new religion, and that's fine. It's kind of this offshoot sect of Judaism, but you guys have really messed up, and y'all just need to come on back home. The same way the Pope says that us Protestants are idiots because we pay homage to the Pope every Sunday, and we just need to come home. (laughs) Our own theology is just so messed up. So I just wanted you to see that so we can be honest, okay? Let's look at these uh, passages and then we're going to do something. So one of the typical passages that will be read during a uh, Passover Seder is this one here in Exodus chapter 6 verses 1 through 8. This is also where these four cups come from. They didn't just dream this stuff up out of nowhere. They actually know their Bible better than most of us do. It says uh, in Exodus, and I've got this in here in the Scriptures version because I want you to see something that's really cool. In uh, Exodus 6, verses 1 through 8, it says, and when you see these letters, that's his name, Yehovah. It says, And Yahovah said to Moshe, that's Moses, Now see what I do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he is going to let them go, and with a strong hand he is going to drive them out of his land. And Elohim spoke to Moshe and said to him, I am Yahovah. Yehovah. And I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Yaakov as El Shaddai. And by my name, Yehovah, I was not known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan and the land, the land of their sojournings in which they have sojourned. I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Mitsrites, that's Egyptians, are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the children of Israel, I am Yehovah, and I shall bring you out from under the burdens of the Mitzrites, and shall deliver you from their enslaving, and shall redeem you with an outstretched arm, and with great judgments, and shall take you as my people, and I shall be your Elohim, and you shall know that I am Yehovah, your Elohim, who is bringing you out from under the burdens of the Mitzrites. And I shall bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to give it to you as an inheritance. I am Yahovah. Now I've got it in here the last couple few verses in the ESV, and I highlighted it for you because I want you to see where they get these cups from and where they name them. Oh, you've already moved it. Uh, they named them the cup of you don't have to, you don't, well yeah you can pull it up uh, the cup of sanctification the cup of deliverance, the cup of redemption, and the cup of hope or blessing or praise. Here's what's also amazing. When you go look that up, you'll get different names. You get different names for these cups. Why? A lot of people just don't call it all the same thing. And the big place where you'll find the most discrepancies are us Christians trying to figure out what to call them. It's amazing. I've got this here because I want you to see something because it says, I will bring you out, I will deliver you from slavery, I will redeem you, I will take you, I will be your God, I will bring you into the land, and I will give it to you for a possession. Here's what's interesting. They, they combine some of these and come up with really four, and they'll say maybe five, and that's where they have this last cup, the cup of Elijah. And they'll set that there, uh, because you remember when Jesus was on the earth, and they said, well, they say that Elijah must come first. <clears throat> and he says, well, if you can understand this, John came basically in the spirit of Elijah to this very day. They'll have a Seder meal and then they'll go through all this. And then there at the very end, they'll have one of the children go and and look out the front door and see if Elijah's there or not. And then they end it with next year in Jerusalem. We're actually going to do that later, but uh, not the Elijah thing. But here's what I want you to understand. There's actually seven I wills in that statement. Well, imagine that. God's perfect number, seven. There's seven of them in there. Uh, And he's talking about all this stuff that he will do for us um, and what he has already done for us. I want you to turn to the next page. I want you to see something here on page three. Because this is how the Passover is to be done. And this is why I'm saying again, nobody, nobody can do it properly. And I'm going to show you right here from God's own word why this is true. <clears throat> so, in Deuteronomy 16, verses eight, uh, 1 through 8, and this is another passage that many people will read during their Passover Seder meal. It says, guard, or in the ESV it'll say keep, but it, the word really does mean guard or protect. Guard the month of Aviv and perform the, fa- the Passover to... Yahovah, your Elohim. For in the month of Aviv, Yahovah, your Elohim, brought you out of Mitzrayim by night. Talking about bringing them out of Egypt at night. You shall slaughter the Passover to Yahovah, your Elohim, from the flock of the herd. Look at this. In the place where Yahovah chooses to put His name. Big deal. Very important. Verse 3, "'Eat no leavened bread with it, for seven days you eat unleavened bread with it, the bread of affliction, because you came out of the land of Mitzrayim in haste, so that you remember the day in which you came out in the land of Mitzrayim all the days of your life. And no leaven should be seen with you in all your border for seven days, neither should any of the meat which you slaughter in the evening on the first day stay all night until morning.'" You are not allowed to slaughter the Passover within any of your gates or towns which your Elohim gives you, but at the place where Yahovah, your Elohim, chooses to make His name dwell. Where is that? Jerusalem. There's only one place they can be sacrificed. Why? Because they're being sacrificed to Him. Not to you, not to me. It's not ours, it's His. It's remembering what He did. And one way to really remember it is to eat. I just told you, I said, if I start talking about turkey and dressing and cranberry sauce and, you know, pumpkin pie and all that stuff, we automatically think, Thanksgiving, you probably have got those smells going through your head right now, right? Going, is it, is it fall yet? <laughs> Uh, that's what God wanted for His people. You're to have this meal. You're to do this. And when you smell this, you're to think of me. You're to think about what I've done for you. Okay, so he says, at the place where He made His name to dwell, there in verse 6, there you slaughter the Passover in the evening, and at the going down of the sun, at the appointed time, you came out of Mitzrayim. And you shall roast and eat it in the place where Yahweh your Elohim chooses. And in the morning you shall turn and go to your tents. Six days you shall eat unleavened bread on the seventh day. There is a closing festival to Yehovah your Elohim. Do no work. So here's what I want you to see is that this Passover is supposed to be done in Jerusalem at the place where God causes His name to be remembered and where He would cause it to dwell. I've already shared with you. I've got this hanging in my office. You can only see this really from a satellite photo. Uh, where the name of God, the yod Vavhe, vav is in the typography of the land in a, uh, just outside of an airport, just outside of Jerusalem. Folks, that's where he said he would cause his name to dwell. That's why the final battle will be fought there. It's because it's connected to God and his name and who he is. And he said, I'm going to put my stamp right here. This is where I'm going to prove that I'm God. And it's all going to be over who I said that I am. And I'm going to do it right here. And that's why He said at the end, He'll cause Jerusalem to become a cup of trembling to the world, which is happening right now in our lifetime. So we're there, amen? There's another big section uh, of uh, Scripture here. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I've got a couple of verses on here highlighted for you because this is another section that is typically read during the Seder meal. And in verse 26, it says, And it shall be when your children say to you, what does this service mean to you? Did you catch that? So you're to do this, and you're to do this in such a way that your kids are going to go, hey, what's the deal? Right? Uh, You ever try to get your kids to eat something they didn't want to (laughs) eat? Why do you laugh? Uh, well, in a minute, we're going to eat some bitter herbs. Yeah, hallelujah. <laughs> you know, um, can you just imagine, you know, your children, this is the fifth time they've done this, and they're like, mm-hmm, I'm not eating, mm-hmm, I can't stand it, I'm not, I'm not eating that. You're like, no, you got to at least taste it, you got to at least taste it. Any Those of you from the South ever grow up, uh, you know, New Year's Eve? New Year's Day and your mom always made you eat the, the black eyed peas and you couldn't stand the black eyed peas and you hated the black eyed peas and mom said, you at least have to taste the black eyed peas. Can I get an amen from somebody, right? Um, well, that's just our tradition, but you remember that, right? And that was the one part of the meal. You're like, I don't I don't want to eat it. And Mom said, you're going to eat this. You got to do this. Anybody here know why we do that in the South? You don't do that up North. Do you know why though? It's from the Civil War when the land was devastated and the people in the north left the black eyed peas because they, uh, saw, they uh, fed it to their uh, pigs and they thought it was worthless. And so in the south, one of the main crops that was left and not disturbed was black eyed peas. And so they every year at New Year's Eve started eating black eyed peas for good luck that you would have food the next year. Imagine that. Uh Little side note. (laughs) But you can see we're eating a food. There's a lot of people. Man, you started laughing and raising your hands. up. It it took you right back to your childhood, right? God said, this is what I want you to do. It'll take you right back to your childhood. It's going to teach you an incredible lesson. Almost no one here knew why we were eating the black-eyed peas. We just knew we were supposed to eat it. And I heard, for good luck which is what we're typically told, right, for good luck. But we don't know the why. God goes, look, this is what I want you to do. It's not for good luck. I want you to do this so that you're going to remember it. It's going to get down into your senses, your smell, your taste, the atmosphere, the weather, everything. And you're going to remember what I did for you so that when your kids go, Dad, why are you making me eat this? Why are we doing this? Why do we always have to eat lamb? You know I don't like lamb. Anybody here not like lamb? Well, you should come to my house one day. We'll fix you some. It's really good. Um, well, he wants us to teach our children. And then the thing is, he says, he's gonna add, your child is going to ask you, what does this mean to you? Why, why are we doing this, Dad? Mom, why are we doing this? What's the meaning behind it? And we're supposed to personalize it. If you'll turn the page, page 4, verse 42, there's a lot of detail in here on how God says, I want you to eat this Passover meal. Verse 42 says, it is a night to be observed to Hmm. for bringing them out of the land of Mitzrayim, out of Egypt, this night is unto Yehovah. To be observed by all the children of Israel throughout their generations. Did you see that? This meal, this sacrifice, all this stuff should be done for and unto the God who saved us. Amen? It's for Him. And teaches us something incredible. And he wants us to have a feast. Our God is an awesome God, amen? Jehovah is awesome. He sent his son Yeshua to die for us. And it's incredible picture of his salvation and love and grace. And then we go, well, I'm not going to do any of that stuff because that stuff's for the Jews and that's in the Old Testament. It doesn't apply to us. Idiots. Seriously. I mean, God gives us this beautiful thing to do. And we'd rather eat black-eyed peas and not know why. And he goes, I want you to eat this and do this. Some of it's not real pleasant. Well, guess what? Sin's not. Some of it is real pleasant. Guess what? Salvation is. Amen? And then teach us a lesson. A good one. If you'll turn uh, the page, the last page, page five, and then we're going to get into this part of the meal it says that this meal is to be eaten in verse 46, eaten in one house. You're not take any of the flesh outside of the house, nor are to break any bone of it. Remember how Jesus died on the cross and they didn't break his legs? Why? Right here. Not a Jewish tradition, a prophecy. Verse 47, all the congregation of Israel are to perform it. Everybody's supposed to do this. You're going to be calling yourself a child of God. You need to be doing this. And then look at this, verse 48. And when the stranger sojourns with you and shall perform the Passover to Yehovah, let all his males be circumcised and let them come near and perform it. And he shall be as a native in the land, but let no uncircumcised eat of it. This is the one festival where God says, look, this meal... Is only for those that are circumcised. The family or the men in that family are circumcised. No uncircumcised person or his family can eat of this meal. They could celebrate uh, unleavened bread if they wanted. They'd go around and you know not eating leaven and not work and all that kind of stuff. But this is a specific meal, and I want you to notice something here because it says the one that wants to eat this Passover meal unto God, then here's the requirement. You have to be circumcised to do this. You need to be called by my name, in other words. And there needs to be a physical reality of that as well, not just words coming out of your mouth. And then look at this, verse 49. This is not the only place this is in your Bible. It says, there is one Torah for the native born and for the stranger who sojourns sojourns among you. There's one law. See, there's not a law for the Jew and a law for the Gentile and they're two separate and we're serving the same God. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there's one law, one Torah, which means teaching and instruction. It's not a burdensome law. It says there's one Torah for the native born And the sojourner that's traveling among you. One. You know, to do this together. Verse 50. And all the children of Israel did as Yahweh commanded Moshe and Aaron. So they did. And it came to be on that same day that Yahweh brought the children of Israel out of the land of Mitzrayim according to their divisions. So this is where Moses is telling them this is how this is supposed to happen. This is what's supposed to go on. And anybody that's not a native-born Hebrew that wants to join themselves with us, and they also want to partake of the Passover, then they have to become circumcised and literally join Israel. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 11, we've been what? Grafted into Israel. Imagine that. Um, So there's, there's just one teaching for all of us. And it's not a burden. It's not burdensome. It's not hard. It's beautiful. It's powerful. I mean, God, He's not a a killjoy. If anything, He's the exact opposite. You know what He does with some of these feasts? Sorry, sorry. I have sermons fly through my head all the time. He goes, when you come, here's the command. You have to celebrate. That's the command. Put on your happy face. Ain't know this. Oh, I've got joy, I joy, joy, joy. You know. <laughs> now he wants us to celebrate. A bunch of us Baptists going to have a hard time in heaven learning how to dance. It's amazing, because he goes, I want you to celebrate. You should be happy. You're not in Egypt. You're in paradise. Can I get a hallelujah, somebody? You're not still in your sin and dead and gone. Now you're walking with the king, promised heaven. That's pretty good news, right? That should be more important than the Rangers beating the Astros. (laughs) It should be, right? I mean, we should be happy people. God even says, look, when you're coming, I know this might rock some of your boats a little bit, but he goes, when you're coming, if it's too far for you to bring your animal with you, Take it, sell it, and then come and buy whatever your heart desires. Buy whatever food, drink, strong drink, whatever, and celebrate. Yeah, woo Right? He wants us to celebrate. He's not that, you know, whatever. He's, He's a God that loves us. Crossed eternity to spend everything in the eternal bank to purchase our salvation. He's given us all these beautiful memorials and they're his appointed time to meet with him. I skimmed over it because I knew I was running way out of time and I was already gone a lot longer than I thought I would. But he talks about the sojourner. He says if he wants to do this and he wants to come before him. In other words, it's a desire to approach God. These are His appointed times throughout the year. There's seven of them. There's seven appointed feasts throughout the year to approach God and meet Him when He says, this is when I want to meet with you. We were driving yesterday. We were looking up and the moon was coming up. This is what's so cool about being on God's calendar. When you realize it's a lunar calendar and you can forget about our Gregorian calendar and those dates. It is so cool to look up and see the moon and it's just almost full. And you go, huh, must be the 14th. You see this completely full moon and you go, it's the 15th of the month. His months. Lunar months. You always know. It's the 15th. And it is so cool to walk around and go, hey God, wow it's the 15th of your month. How you doing? You can see it waning going the other way and you kind of you can kind of tell about what time of the month it is by the phase of the moon. It is just really really cool and God goes, "I've got these times when I want to meet with you and I have appointed these times for you to come and meet with me." I think that's cool. Don't you? And so here we are tonight having a Passover meal, talking about Passover, talking about unleavened bread, during the time when God says, This is when I want to meet with you. He wants to meet with you. It's like your ability to be so close to Him during these times, doing what He said to do, just becomes so personal and powerful. There's nothing legalistic about it, it's just getting into God's economy instead of trying to come up with our own, asking God to get into our economy. That's so backwards and dumb, right? He goes, do this, do it on these days, and come and meet with me. So here's what I want us to do. On your table, because I want you to be thinking about how God has brought you out of whatever it is He's brought you out of. Maybe it's... Um, just your salvation experience. Maybe He's delivered you from some bad stuff going on in your life or your family's life or or whatever it is. Uh, I want you to be thinking about that. And on your table, there's um, these bitter herbs. This is the fun part. So if you'll pass around the... uh, No, if you'll pass around the... Not not that just yet. The unleavened bread. And get you a piece of that, break that off. Get just just get you a piece of that. And then there's these bitter herbs. It's horseradish. Yeah. So if uh yeah, it's in the little cup. We didn't think it would take much. <laughs> And I want you to be remembering about your own personal bondage to sin or whatever it is. It doesn't have to be some habitual sin or whatever. It could be your salvation experience. And, uh, and I want you to, to eat that and think about how bitter that was before. And I'm going to do the same thing. I get, get, get my own joy going on here. want to get too much. Woo. Hmm. Yeah, that'll preach right there. <laughs> mm. People going after the water. Hallelujah. I forgot to tell you this, if you'd like, you can go ahead and pour some of this juice in these small cups that you've got. And each time you drink some of that juice, I want you to remember about... For instance, this one was the bitterness of our own sin, death, destruction, whatever it was that God brought us out of. And because of the shed blood of Yeshua, that can be washed away. Amen? That's some good news. Now, typically, they'll have a special prayer done at each one of these cups, but I, I do have some reasoning behind my madness this evening. So you can take a sip of that and just think, man, Yeshua, thank you for dying for me. God is good, isn't He? The next one is eating these herbs. This is the uh, parsley you've got on the table. And this is to be dipped in salt water. And this is remembering our tears and longing for deliverance. Along with um, the salt water that Israel... Walked through, uh, and they had to—they had to actually, you know, walk through that, and the tears that they shed in begging for and longing for deliverance. And once again, that doesn't go down too well. You can wash that away with uh, the juice, and think about how sweet it is because God says when everything is said and done. Yeshua himself is going to wash away or do away with every tear, every sorrow, shame, guilt, all of that. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more death. There'll be no more shame with our King. Amen. Um, Aren't you looking forward to the day when you'll no longer have to say, I'm sorry? When God will even heal our emotional wounds. Mm. The next is just the matza itself. You can eat that however you want. But um, Jesus was telling us that His body was broken for us. This matza, yes, it is striped. It is pierced. <clears throat> it is without leaven. Jesus was without leaven. He was without sin. Um, his body was beaten, striped, pierced through for our transgressions. Um, At the end of the meal, Jesus did not bring out this piece called the afikomen, which just simply means that which comes after. That's all it really means. Um, I believe he took a piece of regular bread and broke it and passed it around. Um, I don't believe he ate the Passover meal before Passover. Um, and none of that even works. And so as we break this and eat this, we remember how that he is sinless. Um, and it was because of our sin, our bitterness, our tears, our, uh, bitter herbs that Jesus had to come and die for us. Now comes the really good part. On your table is also this mixture called keroset. This is typically served. It's very sweet. It is a lot of nuts. So if you do have a nut issue, I know you're thinking I'm a nut, you have an issue with me. But if you're allergic to nuts like me, uh, I'm getting away. Uh, just be careful with that, but that, this is what this is, and it is very sweet, and this is to remember the sweetness of our deliverance. Here towards the end of the meal, uh, the end of this service, to be thinking about how God is so good, um, He's just so good to us, and it's sweet knowing God, isn't it? It's not bitter, it's not hard, it's not uh, negative. He's not a killjoy. He, uh, he loves us. And walking with Him is a sweet thing. Isn't God good? Oh, my. Now, this is where... Uh, I'd like for us to try to personalize this a little more because it said... This is when your child asks you, what does this mean to you? Just going to kind of open this up for you to share because we're family, right? This is just a family meal. It's not, try not to to be such a formal thing. What does this Passover meal mean to you? Maybe what does it mean to you in light of your understanding of Scripture, where we are today even as a fellowship? Our understanding and uh, of the Old Testament and how it actually does apply to our lives today. Um, practicing this Passover meal, eating bread of haste, knowing there's another Exodus coming. Um, so I'm actually looking for a response. What does eating this Passover meal this year mean? for you, are mean to you? Anybody? Yes, sir.
1: This adds a layer of, of depth to that, I think, for me. And then, also, we, we talk about those appointed times, and those um, those seasons, those, those that set apart time for us, for us as a family, for us as a church family, and and what that means to us. You know, mm. it's, it's neat to hear your twelve year old say, "This is my favorite holiday." Mm. Right. You know, we grew up with other things that we would do and um so I just think about the the beauty of the depth of knowledge when you when you don't check your brain out and you actually like dig in and, and study and learn what God has for you. So that's that's what this means to me. I think this is our third I think our third time that we've done this now. I had never done it.
0: Yes, sir. Uh like public um
1: publicly showing things I've changed and I'm redirecting a lot. Uh, not just to the rest of the world. Uh, my life, my God and I'll bring the band up here. Mm.
0: Awesome. Anybody? Yes, ma'am. The Passover this year, I have a better understanding. Of teaching and teaching and teaching. Awesome. Maybe I ought to turn that to silent. <laughs> That's awesome, Betty. Thank you. Anybody else? Yes. Mm, I like that. Exactly. That's awesome. Somebody else? Yeah. I'm sorry. I can't hear you, sweetie. Awesome. And that's what it's really supposed to be. Yeah. Anybody else? Yes sir. Yep. Mm. Exactly. That's good. Awesome. Yes.
1: um I guess it's kind of humbling because I feel like I was so easily duped by all the pagan things thinking I would
0: be all D D set but I was just filthy. I mean it's still filthy, but nobody's still That's good. anybody else? This one's a little bit more uh, personal. Um, You can share this if you want or just think about it. But has Yahovah himself brought you out of your own Egypt? (laughs) Uh, Is that not awesome? And to think that he's not only done that, brother ralph said uh use the word sanctification i mean and i sense that all the time since coming into this understanding and stuff and trying hard to walk with god on his schedule his way and feeling that constant cleansing oh my goodness why in the world would i ever want to go back that doesn't make any sense at all um just powerful (laughs) <laughs> so what has and I've got this one it's not really trying to say it a different way but what has been your experience in keeping the feasts I used the term there I did put it in the plural uh, the feast to Yehovah what's been your experience in, in keeping this which means because I know some of you have we've kept Passover and these other feasts Sukkot uh, maybe some of you have even done Hanukkah, whatever, although that one's not biblical, but it's still cool and prophetic. Um, what has been your experience in keeping these feasts, trying to do them and learn? How has that impact your life? What's been your experience with that? All of them in general, not even just, just this one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 They don't. you're Christian, really? Oh, okay. Should I, should I? <laughs> right, right, right. I I can relate to that. Yeah. It's part of Egypt coming up. It exactly. It that's right. Anybody else? Yes. His ways are higher than our ways and perfect. Me personally, I have found it extremely exhilarating and extremely frustrating. I had a long conversation with Ralph the other day on the phone. Yeah, I'm a minister. I have a tendency to talk to other ministers. I have a tendency to talk but when I talk to other ministers and they look at me like a deer staring at the headlights, I can't really wrap my brain around it. I've always wanted to be biblically honest and intellectually honest. And when I run into people that just don't want to be intellectually honest, they just want to, they want to take the blue pill. They want to stay in the matrix, take the blue pill They know it's not a stake, but they think it's a stake, and they're happy thinking it's a stake, so that's what they want to do, knowing that they're a battery, if you've watched the movie The Matrix. And I'm going, okay, so you're a trained minister, you know the Word of God, you know the Word of God says, don't let many of you desire to be a teacher, because with that will come a greater judgment and yet you don't mind having pagan things in the church and teaching your church members, God's people, that that's okay to do pagan things and that He doesn't have a problem with it and that we actually have the authority to call something holy that He said was unholy. Now, some of y'all are sitting here shaking your head, but that's what Christian theology actually says openly. Openly says God gave us the authority to call something holy that's unholy. And he's good with that. And so for me, it's been extremely exhilarating, personally. I just go, God, this is just, this is incredible. I don't know how to explain it. You have to experience it, right? It's like when I got healthier and I started eating a lot more green food, and I would tell people, green is good. And if you start getting your diet cleaned up and you eat more, healthy food, your body will start craving it. And I had people looking at me going, you know what, pastor, you're pretty cool, but you've lost your mind. And then to watch them change their diet and then tell me, I thought you'd lost your mind and now I know exactly what you're talking about. It's, it's, it's just something you have to experience. It, You just have to experience it. There's just nothing like getting in God's economy. And then feeling His presence and knowing that He's there and then have the Word of God start jumping off the page at you and you go, I didn't know that was there. Wow, it's just really cool. Um, Okay, Um, this last one here is very important and then we'll close our service. Um, What would you want your children or the next generation to learn from this experience of keeping the feast to Yehovah? I asked that question. I really want us to think about this. What would you want your children or the next generation? Let's say your children are already grown or maybe you don't have any kids, the next generation to learn from this spirit, this experience of keeping the feast of Yahovah, of, of God?
1: Well, the truth.
0: Oh wow. Anybody else? Okay. Yes. We are in a war, and truth is the only side of men. Exactly. Okay. Okay.
1: sake of what is good and right and perfect, that, that can change other people's lives as well. So I think just, you know, the prayer that I always have for my boys is that they would be they'd be bold. Mm. You know, they, would, they would find, you know, what they need in Him and nothing else, and in doing so that, that that creates that boldness. Out there else with
0: you. Right. That's good. That's a good word. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Oh yeah. There's always something more to learn. hmm everything we've learned could have been wrong. You know, it is done. And for
1: them to question. And I can still question us, they'll ask us something, they'll question us. I said, Mm, that's not what we heard, you know, that's not what we interpreted or you say that's not what I replicate. And I said, Well, maybe go and go look it up and do some research
0: in it. Right. Okay, even for me or your mother, you know, we don't know everything. Right. I mean people not think I know anything. <laughs> Right, right. That's good. That's what we should want, right, is the truth. Anybody else? Right. So just
1: to um and you know, doing all of this is, is so um it's so full. There's it's so much fuller than any of the other you know,
0: celebrations everywhere. It's like right soul, and right. Uh, can, can Cool. Yes, sir. exactly. Yeah. Because what we're doing now by getting a full understanding of the Scriptures, we're making a bold proclamation. You ain't all that. And as a matter of fact, your demise is coming. Yehovah is God. And no matter what you're about to pull, if I'm still on this earth, I ain't buying it. Because I know what the truth is. And that's where it's sad that so many Christians don't have a clue because they're just doing the traditional things that they've been told that have been regurgitated. uh, And they don't understand. And they don't even understand that there's another exodus coming. It's coming. And they think it's the rapture. And they're going to get raptured out of here before it hits the fan. And that's what they're banking on. And what are they going to say when they look up and go I don't understand what happened. Um, but God has pulled the scales and pulling the scales off of our eyes so that we can see that, so that we can get prepared. My hope is that our children in this next generation will be people that will search for truth and that will search the Bible for themselves. Instead of seeing this stuff all the time I see on the news, that, you know, the kids, this young generation that's emotionalized and don't know how to use their brain. And so they're out there fighting for causes. They don't know what they're fighting for. And I go, what we don't understand is that that same mindset's in the church. Because we're biblically illiterate. Because we just regurgitate the sermon sound bites that we've heard. And we like that and we go on. Uh, Instead of, well, this is what the Bible said. And the Bible said that you were doing this and we're doing it unto Him. So we want to honor Him. And honor Him with our celebrations. I think that's really cool. Instead of just, you know, our other stuff. I'm really glad you came. I hope it was meaningful. I hope it was helpful. Um, You didn't do a traditional Seder service tonight. (laughs) Um, You can go look that up and feel free to practice that at your home if you would like. Um, And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'm not. I'm saying that what they did, I think, is actually a stroke of genius Uh, And God is opening up everybody's eyes, I believe. He's calling out His people to show us His truth so that we can learn what He said in the Bible and to follow what He said in His Word so we can get closer to Him so that we can understand what happened so that we'll know what will happen. And you're not going to know what will happen if you don't know what already happened because He said over and over again, I'm going to tell you the end of the matter from the very beginning. And all these things were given to instruct you so that you'll know what's coming and this is one of them so I'm, I'm glad you came I want to pray uh, we'll kind of close our time tonight um, I hope you are blessed I hope you're blessed beyond your wildest dreams